Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode. Well, welcome everybody here back for another episode of State of Sport Management. I'm really, really excited about this new episode because one of our, if not the biggest conference in our field is called NASM or North American Society of Sport Management. And every year they give away an award that's called the Ziegler Award. And to me, it's very much embodying the Lifetime Achievement Award. And today we have a special treat. We are joined by the most recent Ziegler Award winner, Dr. Jennifer McGarry, who is a full professor and department head and at University of Connecticut in the educational leadership program. So Dr. McGarry, how's it going? It's going very well. How are you, Matt? I'm good. No complaints here. It's still early in the fall. It's still very warm here in Cincinnati, but I'm sure we're going to start feeling those fall cool down in colors pretty soon. So talking about, um, you won the Ziegler. So first of all, congratulations. That's a huge award in our field, but, um, can you tell us a little bit of the process? How did you like find out or kind of just the process of finding out or who nominated you? Certainly. Um, I was nominated by my former advisor from Ohio state, Donna Pastore. So I want to thank her for that. Um, I know that she nominated me several years ago. So there's a, a process involved that uh, former Ziegler Award winners, members of the NASA Executive Council come together and examine the nominees. And then they forward a short list to the Executive Council and that council then votes. So that was what I understand of the process um, that was involved this past year. And then the sitting president of NASM notifies the winner. So I actually very vividly remembered how I found out I was at a, an event uh, at UConn and we hold a career night in sports every year where we bring alumni back to campus and our current students have the opportunity to network with them and learn more about where the alumni are working. And then hopefully some connections are made that lead to opportunities for our current students. It's just a really fun night. And I remember that we were just about to get started and I was putting my phone away for the evening and I looked down at my email and there was an email from Lisa Keel, who's the sitting president at the time announcing, you know, letting me know that I had won this award and it was just, you know, you kind of do a double take. First, I was completely distracted <laughs> because I was supposed to be paying attention to this event. And then, you know, you just like saying, what? Like that really, did that really happen? Did I really just read that? Um, so it was a, it was a cool moment. And at the time, you know, it was just me processing it and not really being able to share it with anybody or ask any questions or do anything, but, you know, move on with the evening. So, um, but it was still a pretty special moment when I read that email. Yeah. You kind of get a revel in yeah, that phone call and the excitement and then kind of coinciding with this, the, what are the responsibilities once you win the Ziegler award? So you have to give us a talk at the annual conference, which is a pretty, could be a pretty intimidating experience. I think that the, the process leading up to delivering the address that happened at the end of May um, is, can be pretty um, intense. You know, you're writing a paper basically and 
you're writing a paper about whatever you want to talk about, which there's some, obviously some freedom in that, but it's also so open-ended that it, it, I felt it was very hard to get started. Um, Once I got started and I had a, a direction that I felt really strongly about, it came together and, um, you know, delivering the, the talk felt good. You know, it felt like I was expressing my views on the field of sport management and, and hitting upon the areas where I think that our field has excelled and also where our field can improve. But it was quite a long process. It, the notification was in October. The talk was in the end of May. And in all that time, you're just thinking about what am I going to write about? What am I going to talk about? You know, what do I have to say that is important enough for, for people to listen to, you know, regarding our, so it's, it's a lot. (laughs) So hearing that you found out in October, how long did it take before you kind of decide on the direction of your, of your talk in the paper? (laughs) So I had, I think some pretty immediate, concepts that definitely I followed through on, but how I was going to do that, um, wasn't clear to me. And I'm a, I'm an installment type of a writer. You know, I can't, I'm not a cram it in at the last minute. I'm a revise and revise and revise kind of person. So that's the way that I approach this. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to speak about, impact and what does it mean to have impact? And that's come from my experiences, not just in, in NASA, I'm in the, the conference in the organization, but in my academic life at UConn as well, I've been in two different departments and I've been surrounded by people who view impact in different ways. And so I knew that that was something that was very important to me. And so that's what I framed the talk around is what, what does it mean to have impact? And really, I think, um, try to disrupt the traditional notions of impact, meaning like impact factor and which journals are you publishing your work in? How many people are citing your work and complicate that so that impact includes the relationships that you have with your students and your peers and your, your peers at your institution, as well as colleagues at other institutions and that is, a, I think, a significant part of impact. And I also talked about what we're involved in as academics beyond research and where the what are the organizations that we give our time and energy and, and intellectual ideas to and why do those matter to us? Um, so that I tried to, I mean, I think that was where I started and I've, over time was able to pull together different resources, other articles, things that have been said by past Siegler winners, um, hot topics in higher education that intersect with sport management, as well as hot topics in the world of sport that intersect with what we do as academics. So um, I just took time to bring all of that together. <laughs> and so I, it sounds like you've kind of already provided a little bit of overview, but like, how would you kind of give 
if someone wasn't there need to kind of like a, a quick synopsis of like, what was your big takeaway from this conversation, from your speech at NASA? I think that the big takeaway was that sport, although it's touted to be this so-called equal playing field and um, inclusionary, um, have inclusionary tendencies actually is extremely exclusionary and that we have to work harder to make sure that the organizations that we're a part of or the, um, you know, the, whether that be a team as a participant in sport or it be a professional organization like NASM, we have to work harder to be transparent about what's important and how decisions are made and how what's important and how the decisions that are made in relation to what's important are including people and not excluding them. Um, So I talked quite a bit about sexism and racism. I named white supremacy, which I think made people uncomfortable, but that was my intention and, and to really point out, all of the positive things that NASM has been and that the field of sport management has been, but that it's not enough that we have to continue to get better. And I think that part coincided well, um, and I'm sure you probably went to the presentation that there was a presentation at NASM talking about the potential lack of, of a welcoming atmosphere for scholars of color that happened at NASM. I think there was definitely that connection between your speech and potentially their presentation mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, one of the things that I did in preparation for the for the talk, I guess two things. First was there's an Academy of Management study that had been done um, just a couple of years ago, actually, and it was an internal study of the organization and the Academy of Management basically charged its membership um, with these questions about what is impact and how do we define impact. And they interviewed, they surveyed the entire organization, but they they interviewed um, a subset of the Academy that would be their, you know, highest, most esteemed scholars. And so I use that to frame part of the talk. And in doing that, I also reached out to both former Ziegler winners, as well as other folks that I would consider to be leaders in sport management, particularly those who study race, gender, the intersection of race and gender and other identities and ask them, you know, what, what do you think about the field of sport management. So I incorporated those conversations into my talk. And one of those conversations, actually three of the folks who are on that panel that you mentioned, um, why are all the black scholars going to NAS? Three of those folks I interviewed prior to my Ziegler address and incorporated the things that they shared with me into my talk. So that was another way I felt like I was not just speaking from my own maybe isolated viewpoint, but I was including others' viewpoints in what I was sharing that day. Yeah. And um, first, I mean, I went to that presentation. It was really good. It was kind of some really good critical thinking to think of NASA differently. Um, 
and it's tough, I guess everyone kind of has a different historical stand, like starting point of when you enter into NASA and the different NASPs you've been to. I haven't had a chance right. to, to go to NAS, but I think after hearing that or going to that presentation, it was interesting to think about the amount of like scholars of color that we essentially have at NASA and comparing that to other conferences I've been to and noticing that there is a difference there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also kind of circling back, you did talk about impact. I think, I think that's really fascinating of, I guess, depending on, I mean, if, especially if you're tenure track and thinking about impact, a lot of times there might be an, an onus on you from your employer to pursue impact factors or certain like an H index or citation scores. And then also trying to think critically about how you can frame conversations of impact um, within like a TMP document for narration of importance of other ways you can identify impact. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Essentially how people besides your traditional like Google scholar stuff on how they could measure impact of their work? Absolutely. And and I made some suggestions in the talk and I think that I was speaking as much to the folks who are involved in the decision-making around promotion and tenure as I was to those who are in that process, because ultimately I think that those are the people, the people who are in the leadership roles, the senior colleagues, the department heads, um, we have deans that are represented and associate deans that are represented in NASA. Like those are the people that need to really think about this and how to, to allow and facilitate the evolution of our field. So it's not because I had to do it this way or that these were the criteria that I had to meet for promotion and tenure that I should expect that folks that are coming up later than me should have to meet those same things. If those weren't fair measures of faculty members, productivity and impact. So I felt that I've, gave examples where it it is about the relationships that you have with your students. It is about the quality of your teaching and the, the, the ways that you facilitate intellectual growth, social emotional growth, career development. And those are things that I think get sort of pushed to the wayside sometimes in, in promotion and tenure. And it becomes all about you know, how many publications, where are they published, how many citations, you know, how many times are you first author, how many times are you sole author. And I by no means meant to imply that those things aren't important. We're in those of us who are in institutions that are research intensive, that is important. Um, but it's also the type of work that we're doing. And so that's why I think that the critical approach um, that I've taken in my career, but also what I was trying to say in this talk is that's important. Um, If we're continuing to perpetuate the status quo in the work that we're doing, I don't think that's impact. So that's, that's what I tried to convey. (laughs) No, no. And that's good because it's, I think it's just something (sighs) talking to other people on this tenure track journey of I think right now I'm definitely trying to focus more on making that traditional impact that mm-hmm. is potentially an easier argument for going up for that. And I, I, I kind of understand that because if I was someone 
in kinesiology or even farther away doing some other type of program that has a sport management or administration program within that you don't know the journals it might be tougher for you to understand practitioner impact or more traditional impact because you just aren't familiar with the content so it's much easier just to look at impact factor and stuff like that but i think that's just something that thinking about those non-traditional forms that are really important and, and integrating them into that narrative and that narrative that you have to provide is, is really imperative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not easy, right? This isn't a, here's a clear answer of how to do things differently because you are being evaluated and your, you know, your professional livelihood is, is on the line. And, but I think, again, that's why I felt that, I was speaking to the people who write those documents and evaluate the dossiers. Like that's who I was talking to. Um, and why not look at things differently? Um, and I think that that I've mentioned before that I've been in two departments and, um, you referenced, you know, being a department head, I've learned a lot being a department head in a department of educational leadership. Um, you know, I had been a faculty member in pre-tenure faculty member in a kinesiology department. And so it's both different departments, but also my position is it was different in each department. But seeing how other disciplines evaluate faculty productivity has been really helpful. Um, you know, the, the criteria in kinesiology were very, very different and I didn't fit well there. I'm a qualitative researcher and you don't crank out qualitative papers. It takes a long time. Um, and so that, you know, that pressure, that tension that I felt for years and years, I, I didn't like that. Um, but that was the world that I was living in and I had to try and justify the work that I did as important and my work was very different than my colleagues. And, you know, now being in a department of educational leadership and working with people who are focused on challenges and issues in higher education, um, people who are focusing on challenges and issues in K-12 education, and they're, they're writing for practitioners, they're writing policy briefs, they're, they're, they're writing more book chapters. It's just a different um, model than what my experience had been pre-tenure. So it just really made me think more about there are many different ways that we measure impact. I mean, one of my colleagues is, is traveling the country to other institutions, giving workshops about creating inclusive classrooms um, at, at the college level and ways to dismantle the power structures that are the you know, underpinnings of higher ed. And, you know, is she publishing multiple papers? No, she's going around and talking to people about how to change higher ed so that it catches up to the demographic of many of our institutions on the changing demographic of many of our institutions. And also, you know, looking at, well, why aren't some other institutions changing um, to, to better serve their student bodies? So just, I think there's just many, many ways to measure impact. And that was my point um, in the, in the talk and what I try to do as a leader in 
my programs as well as my department. It's like there's not one answer to very many questions and we need to really think about the ways in which we message and, and what we expect of people and how that might be very contradictory to the ways in which they work and what's important to them. Yeah, no, and I couldn't agree more. I, I went to a meeting when I was at Texas tech for some, like a third year review preparatory meeting, talking about different expectations. And it was interesting. Yes. Yeah, some people in there, their entire expectations was to make sure they had a book published before they went up for tenure. And mm-hmm. Then when I was here, um, here at University of Cincinnati, I recently met with a faculty member of our College of Business. I know the UC business program is is well respected nationally, and it was interesting to hear that they have a much lower journal publication expectations than I think a lot of sport management uh, folks have. But the ones you get are supposed to be really high impact factor, very prestigious journals like Academy Management, Strategic Management. And so that was an interesting stress of like, hey, you might only have to do one publication a year, but <laughs> it needs to be, yeah, better like, be a uh, good one. Yeah, where they got to throw a parade for you type thing. Or at least I'd, I'd request yeah. a parade if I ever got a strategic <laughs> article. Um, so, but you were talking about being a chair. I think this is a good time. Let's kind of dive into that of like, once you sure. became a department chair, how... How did your role change from a day-to-day standpoint? I mentioned the the department that I'm in. So I think that the the most immediate there's two things. So it's it's sort of like um, as an athlete, if you if you play on a team and then the next year you come back and you're a coach of the team. So there's a peer relationship that change or that can change. And so particularly aware and sensitive to that because I had been a member of the department as a faculty. Um, and then the following year I was the department head and, and I was relatively new. It was only the second year I had even been in the department because we had moved from kinesiology. So um, the, the relationship piece was one. The second thing that was really um, new or challenging was that I didn't know the programs as well because I was new and because they were different and we run a a principal preparation program, a superintendent preparation program, adult learning, higher ed and student affairs. And so I didn't have like an intimate knowledge of of any of those, but what I realized fairly quickly um, is that if you study leadership, you study management, there's some definite crossovers. Um, So it wasn't, a foreign concept to me, but it did take time to get to know the people and the, the players and, you know, the, the landscape and the state education, like K-12 education that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, so the, those were challenges, but by no means insurmountable. I think actually being a sport management faculty member um, served me well because I, I understand mm-hmm organizational theory, understand organizational behavior and a department is an organization. So um, I think that you, you know, you, you understand those things and it serves you well. Yeah. And so kind of speaking to that, like what are, I kind of always hear, you know, being department chair is really tough. It's uh, kind of that gateway, but also you have to make some tough decisions. Like, so what have been some tough decisions you've had to make as department head 
I think that kind of in a, if you put them all into a bucket that have to do with resources. Um, so whether it's evaluating, keeping programs or closing programs based on enrollment, whether it's financially where to distribute graduate assistantships, which programs, which students, which faculty members. Um, I think those are the, the, the biggest ones um, that I would feel probably cut across most departments. And then I think that the, the and this is a resource too, a human resource um, would be personnel challenges. And most of the challenges that I've faced in the, the five years that I've been a department head have been culture and climate related. And some of that has to do with the, the tension and stress around the promotion and tenure process and, and how that is messaged and how people react to that. I think also the department that I'm in is the most um, ethnically diverse in the school. It, we have also more women than men in the department. So there's some unique dynamics that have to do with race, gender, and their intersection that lead to many, you know, long conversations and um, emotional conversations about what it's like to be in higher ed um, when the, the standards and the expectations are being and have been historically written and communicated by white men. Mm. And something else I always hear about is there can be disconnect between faculty administrators. And I guess depending on the school, there can be a lot more animosity there or very little. But I mean, how how do you essentially try to overcome that disconnect between faculty and your roles essentially as like that front lines of administration? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things, and I like this about being a department head, is that you are still a faculty member. Um, you and at, at UConn, you don't transition into the quote-unquote management um, realm, so you're you're middle management. Um, and so I've just tried really hard, you know, kind of in reference to my last comment, to stay connected to the faculty and be a, a conduit. Um, in terms of sharing the concerns and and accomplishments of the faculty with the administration, and then also sharing the expectations and sort of what might be on the horizon that I learned from traveling in the administrator circles, um, share those with the faculty so that we can talk through the ways that we're going to operate, um, you know, in times of change or, um, you know, when there are opportunities, how are we going to take advantage? I, I see the role of the department head being that, that a bridge between the faculty and the administration. They'll kind of be part of either, um, group, which can be a positive. It also can be challenging, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to make decisions um, and you have to sometimes make the decisions that align with what the administration is messaging. 
and then other times you have to really continue to push for what the the faculty um, want, and then those two things don't always align. Yeah, no, I, I agree. In a in a perfect world, that department head does work like as a fantastic conduit between faculty and kind of what administrators are saying. And I know as no, it can be tricky, especially I think if someone came in externally for a department head, they probably are looked at it as more of an administrator because there isn't that mm-hmm. rapport that you've built up over time. But I think on a, on a strong internal hire, I can see a lot more benefit that that comes from those situations. But um, kind of like for those thinking about becoming a chair, what would you recommend? You know, it's it's not unlike what we recommend to our students. I would suggest do some job shadowing. I would suggest um, being able to sit in on some meetings. We've had some transitions in department heads at UConn and in the School of Ed. And um, through retirement, you know, that was announced early, um, there was a succession plan and the, you know, the, the rising department head was able to spend a semester sort of shadowing the outgoing department head. And I think that that can be really informative. Um, I had the opportunity to step into the department head role when the prior department head had moved up as in a, an associate dean position. So he didn't leave. So I had that resource that was always, you know, one floor up um, and available for consultation. So I think you know, thinking about what the what the support, what the onboarding process is going to be, and what the support mechanisms mechanisms are going to be, are really important because it is a tremendously difficult job. Um, it, it's very hard to continue to teach, to continue to do your research, to continue to be involved in the other committees you're involved in. So knowing what the expectations are and who's there to support you can be really critical in the, in the transition. And so like, how do you balance that Dr. McGarry? Like how do you balance your teaching service and research with all this additional duties you've been adding onto your plate? I don't know that I do, to be really honest. I think it's it's hard. I I looking back, I um I asked for a course release my first semester as department head, so I didn't teach at all. That was a like I don't know how I would have survived if I were teaching. And in the semesters where I have taught, um, it's like it's just an additional layer. So I think that that's a hard decision for folks to make. You know, you you end up at least I felt disconnected from entire classes of um of our students because I you know, if I didn't teach them in the fall, you know, one particular class, then I'd miss that whole group because by the next fall it would be the next you know the the, the next class coming in. So that was hard, but it was necessary. Um, so I've been really uninvolved, I think, in the undergrad program in sport management in the time that I've been the department head. I've maintained my same role with the PhD students. So that's kind of one of the places that I had to make a decision. Um, and I've been sort of medium in terms of the master's students. Um, so you just, you can't do it all. Um, the, the research is difficult. And so I'm 
glad that I was at the stage of my career. In fact, I think that had a lot to do with why I made the decision to be the department head, um, where I had most of my research efforts were collaborative. So I was able to not be the lead for a little bit while I accustomed, you know, got accustomed to being the department head. Um, but leading research projects as a department head is really hard um, because it's, you're planning out fires. Your days are not always your own. Um, you know, when people say I showed up with the to-do list and then all these other things happen, like that's every day. <laughs> so um, I think the only way to, to stay engaged in your research is to make space that is not in the office uh, and protect your time. And so those are some of the things that I've learned. I I think at least picture and I think p- letting go of the research would be the toughest and not from an interest standpoint. It's just that if you and I were doing a project, like it's not like teaching class where you know in 15 weeks it'll be done. It's right. yeah, you don't know the next like the journal you submitted to might not like it. There might be edits, it might take a long time to write. And especially if you've gets offered something like this in the midst of data collection, then yeah, like you said, you kind of have a choice of maybe you can see if the people you're working with are willing to maybe step up and be the lead author. And if not, then yeah, it just mm-hmm. it might take a long time before you actually get that off the plate and don't add something else to it. Right. And, and because you're continuing as a faculty member, you you're, you need to be research productive. And in the event that when you're done being a department head, um, you're a faculty member, you need to have a, a consistent research agenda uh, and show growth toward that. So I think that that is one of the hardest parts. But one thing I will say, and I don't think I would have said this you know, six years ago before I stepped in this role, everything is negotiable. And if your dean or your school or whoever's making those decisions wants you to be a department head, they want you to be the department head and they're going to do what they can, whatever they can do to make that happen. So if that's, uh, you know, a one, one load or a, the zero one load is what I had my first year. And it's a one day a week out of the office to do research ask for it. Um, if you know that that's what you need to continue, you know, to be successful in the department head job and to continue being a productive scholar, then I'd say ask for it. Yeah. Like ask for a brand new house, um, ask for anything. <laughs> but that's, that's where the, the job shadowing piece comes in, I think, because you, you talk to other people and you learn like that would be another big piece I would, of advice I would have talk to other department heads in different fields, in different schools and find out what their, you know, what their expectations are. I think that really helps. Mm, No, that's good advice. And making that transition, you've told me that you are on sabbatical right now. So so tell us a little bit about how your experience so far has been on sabbatical. Well, it's, it's been a, I've slowly gotten there. Um, I, was long overdue for a sabbatical and I was done with my five-year term as department head. And before making a decision on whether I was going to do that, um, another five years, I was like, I better get this sabbatical in because who knows if I'll get it again. So um, that's really where I was coming from. And I said, there's another piece, you know, you, you are, I mean, that's one of the huge perks 
of academia and take advantage of it. Um, so, but because I'm a department head taking a sabbatical, um, we had, there needed to be another department head. And so that took some time to determine. And so then some, I had sort of an extended role and, you know, and onboarding and orienting and kind of helping to make sure things were in place. So, um, but now that the semester started, I am technically on sabbatical and really focused on finishing projects that are started and not starting anything new. That is my goal. <laughs> um, so I've been, I've been trying to hold myself to that and, um, yeah, cause that's a, that's a, a good feeling, you know, when you have something you've that's been kind of on hold for a while um, that you know is quality from a research standpoint and you just, you, you finish it. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So you're saying at the end of this recording, we shouldn't talk about a new project that I want you to, to start off on. No, no. And I mentioned our colleague that I talked to earlier today and they're, couple of new projects in that conversation. I'm just like, not yet. Um, but it's, I mean, that's, I, again, I didn't take on some, um, big elaborate new effort during the sabbatical. It's, it's trying to finish the things that I've already started. And, and then my other goal is that each day I'm trying to do something that I wouldn't have done if I were teaching and being a department mm-hmm. head. And it can be like as, as small as, you know, sitting outside for half an hour and having lunch to um, going for a bike ride in the middle of the day, you know, those kinds of things that just kind of clear your mind and allow you to get, you know, come back and be re-energized and refocused. So trying to do those kinds of things. And so I, to echo some of you said, finding out about your sabbatical, I think is super important like the nice thing here university of cincinnati's union and so they've been sending us emails here and there about rights that we have and one of them we just literally it just happened to coincide with this recording we had was about um sabbatical options and it's and it outlines great mm-hmm. how many semesters you've worked and then what that means you can take time off and what your pay is during all that time but one thing i think it's so interesting for you is like you said your department head maybe you're going through that decision whether to re-up for another five-year term but like how hard was it to like literally like flip the switch to not doing this off i am on sabbatical and moving forward yeah, it can it can be hard because I feel a sense of responsibility um, to, to people and, and also to processes and tasks. Um, but I, I was also just really tired. So there's some of the some of the switches that have not been hard to flip at all. Even like I'm I need a break from this and I need a break from this. Um, so and that's I think that's also part of sabbatical I've told people that aren't as familiar with the concept it's I can continue to do the things that are that I want to do um and so I have some decisions that I can be making so you know I'm meeting with my PhD students every week um I'm continuing to shepherd them through their programs you know I'm not disconnecting from that um but I'm not running the master's admissions process this year you know so there's certain things I'm like I'm no, that I need a break from. Um, and then there's other things where it's like, no, I mean, this is, 
part of what matters to me about doing my job. So I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. And, and we appreciate here at the podcast that you're willing to also take this on during your sabbatical as well. Um, of course. Now kind of our last thing here, just kind of thinking of kind of a th- fun question to finish on thinking back, what was the very first NASM conference you went to like the location? What do you kind of remember from attending that conference? It was 1998 and it was Buffalo. It was at Canisius college. And I went with my grad school cohort basically. Um, so we drove from Columbus, Ohio to Buffalo. And so that was an experience in and of itself. Um, <laughs> I remember cohort. staying. Yeah. Um, it was, a I I trying to remember. It was like Aubrey Kent and Dan Funk and, Jeremy Jordan, Corinne DePrano. Um, it was a good group of people. We had a lot of fun. And um, I remember staying in a dorm there, which was an experience, you know, you know, going on the cheap. Um, but from a conference standpoint, it was the sort of a starstruck, like, oh, these are real people. Like I've been reading their articles and here they are really people that you can talk to, um, which I'm sure most folks experience at their first conferences. Um, but being part of having my, my friends and and classmates there, as well as, um, my advisor, Donna, that I mentioned at the beginning who had nominated me for the Ziegler as a, as a guide. So I had my comfort zone. And then I also had someone that was kind of pushing me a little bit to meet people and talk to people. Um, so I think it was a good, it was a good experience, a good balance. Um, that's, that's, those are the things that I remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I've experienced one NASM with dorms as an available housing arrangement. And I'm pretty sure I also took advantage mm-hmm. of that as well to save costs. So, yeah. uh, but I, yeah, there, I did not know there was a NASM in Buffalo at, at one point in our history. So yeah. interesting things to learn. And you drove from Columbus to Buffalo. Yeah. I feel like that's a significant um, drive right there. <laughs> awful um trying to remember probably like five or six hours maybe oh okay yeah that's not too bad yeah 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 that's that's easy (laughs) so awesome i just want to wrap us up thanks again dr mcgarry for joining us i thought this was really insightful it was really good to hear about the ziegler award because we kind of if you didn't get a chance to go to nasa you have to wait all the way until january to even to even read about it so that was great and we've also gotten some great insight for you on your position as a department head and also talking a little bit about you starting off on the sabbatical so thank you for joining us my pleasure happy to do it all right everybody well thanks for listening on this episode we hope you join us for our next chance with state of sport management podcast